Welcome back to the Live the Legacy podcast, a project brought to you by the Andrew Goodman Foundation. I'm your host, Mo Banks, and I am so excited for this season of the podcast. Um, To catch everyone up to speed, if you haven't been with us since the start of the podcast, season one was all about connecting the past to the present. We had three incredible conversations with people who were advocating for voting rights over 50 years ago, talking with our current Andrew Goodman ambassadors, and we were connecting how the fight from 50 years ago, the fight today, um, is different, but also they share a lot of similarities. We got to learn from different tactics and techniques and um, just their powerful stories of how they fought for change. Um, it was a really inspirational season. If you haven't checked it out, again, it's it's available now. And then season two, we connected the present to the future. Uh, we were talking to current voting rights activists who are working right now to ensure that we have um, a, a just and equitable democracy. And once again, you know, alumni from our program, as well as current ambassadors, were able to talk to current voting rights activists about what they were doing today to make sure that people had equal access to the ballot, or as much as possible. Um, obviously, we've seen an increased attack on our voting rights over the past two years, with unprecedented amounts of bills and laws being passed that restrict um, our rights and our access to votes. So it's, it was a crucial season. Um, all six of those episodes are currently available on whatever streaming app you're currently listening to this on, as well as on our website. Uh, this season, I'm really excited about it because it's all focused on current youth voters. Uh, we talk so much about the power of the youth vote. We've mentioned it for the past two seasons. And this season, I really wanted to dig into why youth are showing up in such powerful and record-breaking numbers. So I figured the best way to find out was to talk to young voters themselves. Uh, So the next six episodes are going to be real-life conversations with young people who are dedicating their time and energy to making sure their peers are registered to vote, they're showing up to the polls, they're doing everything that they can on their college campuses and beyond to make sure that young people go and make their voice heard. So I think it's going to be a great season. I'm really excited that y'all are here, that you're listening, that you're interested in it. Um, And if you don't mind just going ahead and like rating and leaving a review on this podcast so that other people can find it and other people can join in the conversation about why the youth vote is so powerful and hear these incredible stories of, of young people who are making a difference today. Uh, So again, you know, leave us a review, rate us, subscribe. All of those things help other people find this podcast um, a lot easier. So yeah, thanks for helping out. Without further ado, I'm going to stop talking (laughs) and I'm going to switch on over to this interview um, with our first guest. Uh, my name is Alexa Hookstra. I use the she, her, her series of pronouns. Um, I'm a political science major, actually, um, with a emphasis in legal studies, and I have a business management minor, um, and I am a student at Texas Women's University. Awesome. Poli-sci majors. I always, I, I was in classes with poli-sci majors, and I always felt intimidated by how much they knew about what was going on. You know, it's funny because I am like credit wise, I'm a junior, um, but 
I am only in my second year of college. Um, and I started off with a lot of business management classes and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, this is great. And then I got into poli sci classes cause I got into my upper division classes. And I was like, Whoa, these guys are serious. Like this is intense. Um, but it's a great way to facilitate learning. But I was like, Oh, poli sci is like a whole new level of like, these people are engaged. They know their stuff. We're going to talk about current events in every single class. And I'm like, Whoa, I really need to like read up on the news a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I always felt. I think I had to take like one or two just to graduate. Um, cause I was trying to get like a minor in like social justice. And so some of that had to do with some poli sci. So I was just always like very impressed and I think I can hang now, but back then I was just like so unaware, which is like, I guess kind of the focus of the conversation we're going to be having today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties now. I remember when I was in my early twenties, mm-hmm. was just in college, like voting, civic engagement, anything around that was just not on my radar at all. Like I just, it wasn't something that I was passionate about or knew about. Um, so I'm always so fascinated whenever I'm talking with folks who are in their twenties and in college and they're not only voting, but they're like leading voting organizations on campus. Um, So can you kind of tell me how you got passionate about civic engagement and why you're passionate about voting in the first place? Yeah. Um, It's funny you mentioned that, like, um, like young people just, just not being very, like, it's funny because poli-sci majors, you are in this like bubble and everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's so engaged and they, they, they just know what's happening. And you can have these really high level discussions about events going on, but you pull yourself out of poli sci majors and you really get a sense of like young people sometimes just, they're just not there all the time. And like, it's so important for us when we're leading this like movement of engaged voters and making sure they know what they're like doing, like even just as simple as like knowing what's happening when you're at the ballot box. Um, like we had an event, it was called, um, party at the polls here at Texas women's university. And we had this little game. Um, and it was, can you tell me what's on the ballot? And if you do, we'll pull off, it's like a bingo board and we'll pull it off and, you know, you get a sticker. Um, and it was amazing that some people, and most often, like we would ask them, Hey, like, what's your major? Like, you know, we talked to them and in poli sci, they knew exactly what was on the ballot. They knew everything coming up. They knew the candidates, they knew the propositions local to our County, but we would talk to students outside and they were like, uh, I don't know. And we're like, no worries. That's why we're here. That's why we're, we're going to help you get educated. But, um, and we actually, this last past semester too, that, that, uh, our team, we went into classrooms. We actually got to talk to over 550 students. Um, we got into 20 classrooms and for our campus, we have about 13,000 or yeah, 13,000 on our campus, but that's between three campuses of D- Dallas, Denton and Houston. Um, so we're very small campus. And we got to talk to these students and we would always ask in these presentations. The presentation was specifically about like what was going on voting, like how do you like voting procedures and and things that you need to know going in um, when you're voting, like first time voters. And then it was also what's on the ballot. And we would always give away free swag for those who could answer what was on the ballot. But more often than not, we were the ones who were like, no worries, like we're voting on the governor. Yes. But like we also need to know everything else we're voting on. So we would go in and we'd give them the answers. And then we talk about um, also the two-party system, so the two candidates up between Republican and Democrats, and we would educate what the seat actually does. So they would know not only the candidates they'd be voting for, but also what the specific seat does in correlation to like how it aligns with your political beliefs. Um, so it was just, it, and it taught us, it's like, it was, we did such great work this semester, but it really taught us that like, there's so much more work to be done, especially with young people. 
and we're doing great things, but we need more people. We need more people on our side that know what's going on. We need more people that are educated and really just, just know what's happening. And I think we did some great work, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, such a cool event. Like I, I think if I were on campus and I saw something like that, I would totally get me hooked and want, I would want to know more about it. Um, I don't even think like, I'm really trying to rack my brain here and think if there was ever a moment on campus that I ever saw like anything about voting. I didn't know how to vote away from home. I didn't, I wasn't registered when I, cause I, I went to a new state whenever I went to college. And so all of those things are just such so many barriers um, for young yeah. people who are attending university to get to the polls in the first place. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, uh, I live in Texas, it's Texas women's university and this state does not make it easy for people to vote. We are one of the toughest states to vote in. We, we're one of the only states that doesn't have online registration. Um, it's hard to change your registration status. Um, it's it's difficult to go, limited polling hours. And just now this year, Texas Women's University was able to secure another polling site. Um, we had lost it for three years. And luckily, when you have a team that's just great, like I could not be where I'm at without, without like the team that's behind me, like administrative support and everything like that. But we were able to get a polling location back on campus. Um, but again, we're with threat, threat with the issue of like, do we get enough people at the polling site to be able to keep it for the next election cycle? So um, it's definitely like such a big thing with like continuity and making sure like everything's sustainable and that like you're getting enough people engaged. And so that's why we held events like that um, to be able like, hey, like, have you voted? If not, like we got a polling site right there. If you're registered in Denton, go vote, please, please go. Like we would literally be on the mic. It was like a speaker system be like, hey, you like walk into class. Have you voted? If not, like go to the polls. <laughs> you awesome. need to vote. And so, it, yeah, it was a lot of big fun thing. We had our mascot and everything and some fun games and we had pizza and it was, it was really good time. So. That's really cool. Um, I love that. So, you know, you kind of mentioned that you have a team of administrators and staff and folks who have been helping you out. Um, but I know that there's also the vote everywhere team to the Andrew Goodman foundation, which obviously is this podcast is uh, for the Andrew Goodman foundation. Um, yeah. you know, I, I remember whenever I first heard Andy's story, um, how powerful and impactful it was to me. Do you remember the first time you heard about the story of Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, and James Cheney? And how did his story and their story impact you? Yeah, so I first heard the story actually from my program manager. Um, her name is Kaylee. Um, and it was just as I was getting onboarded um, for Andrew Goodman to become an ambassador. Um, and she really took the time out of like her day to like share the story with me and like really give an impactful meaning about why we do the work that we do and like what I was walking into as an ambassador. Um, and I think for me, it was just really awesome in the moment to hear a story about someone who was just an ally standing up for those who had been historically oppressed and, and discriminated against. Um, but I think it's a pivotal example of what coalition building and bringing people together can do, and it sustains rights to vote. And I think that the thing that impacts me so much now is that like that story and that legacy has like stood the width of time and it continues to empower so many generations, like my generation, like what it was in the sixties. And we're still talking about Andrew Goodman today and about his legacy. And he was awarded the presidential medal of freedom and things like that, like Eve, like posthumously. And, and it's just so important because the generations and generations and generations are keeping the legacy alive. 
um, solely by that story and and the meaning of that story, which is just standing up with others and standing up as an ally and making sure that we have the responsibility of making sure people you know have the right to vote and that we continue that being a thing, um, especially right now. Because like, let me tell you, we are living through some historic times and it is just so important now more than ever to stand up for freedom. You're absolutely, I mean, you're telling me, like it's it's been <laughs> nuts how much, I feel like I'm still processing 2019 and we're about to start 2023. Like I just, it, there's been so much going on, um, which is why like when I'm just sitting down and having conversations like this and I'm talking to the next generation of like powerful voters who are taking things very seriously. I mean, we just saw the second highest youth voter turnout in recent decades with like mm-hmm. 27% of young people showing up, making their voices heard in the, in the midterm elections. Like, this isn't even, we're not even talking presidential, this is midterms. Um, so I think there's something to that, but why do you think that like more young people, we're seeing more people, young people showing up to the polls, becoming civically engaged? What do you think is motivating um, your generation to get out there and make their voice heard? Yeah, I think young voters are ready. They, they, they're hearing the call and they're picking up the phone. Cause I think right now in, in my life, like, you know, civic engagement, I'm in my baby stages of civic engagement. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm leading and doing these things, but like, I'm, I'm a baby right now. I've not been doing this for decades and decades and decades, like some other really influential people in this movement. But I don't think that discredits what we are important and what we have to say, because for this is the first time in my life that I've actually seen government and the way it impacts me on a, on a daily level. Like we are seeing things being passed. We are seeing things being taken seriously. We are seeing activism and all those things are being filtered all the way down to young people. And we are the ones who in the future is going to be dealing with everything else that gets passed right now, everything else. So I think like the most important thing is realizing like young people are looking ahead and we're not just living now, but we're also living 20 years in the future when we know that climate change is a real thing that's happening and that voting rights are being threatened every single day and that student debt cancellation might be a thing. And so all these things are things that will be in our future for years and years and years to come. So I think young people are finally realizing like, if you're not engaged now, you're not going to be engaged later. And you're just going to keep seeing things being passed and done that you don't agree with. So if you really truly have an issue that you care about now, go vote, get involved, call your reps, make sure your voice is heard because then we actually can see some real change and see our voices being included and being taken seriously because that's so important. We need to be at the table. We need to be having these conversations and we need to be represented um, in all forms of government. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you touched on some major things there. I know it's, you know, it's one thing to kind of like read some of these studies. It's like young people care about, you know, abortion access Young people care about climate change. Um, it's another to that, you know, to be a young person who's having conversations with their peers about things that they care about. What are some of the things that, you know, what are some of the issues that are really at the forefront of y'all's mind whenever you're going to the polls? Is it, is it what the studies say, or are, are there things that we're, we're missing things that maybe we need to be more aware of um, that young people are really caring about and that are driving folks to the poll right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I think number one, um, again, it's not a secret. I'm a resident of Texas and um, Texas is is coming after women right now sometimes, Uh, not sometimes, a lot. (laughs) And, you know, for me, I I identify as a woman. I am a woman. um, And 
man, I do not agree with what Texas is doing. And so what motivates me is that I, I want my access to choose. I want my, I want my rights. Um, I don't want to be considered like a second class citizen when it comes to making choices over my body. Um, and I, I want to be able to have that freedom. And then, you know, also too, Texas threatens diversity a lot. Um, in higher education, in schools, um, in in the workplace, and I think that frustrates me too. Because again, women we're not we're not always represented well, um, and so that's number one. Like I just um, for me, it's it's changing the landscape of Texas because I don't think Texas um, for me, I don't think it's a red state. I think it's just a non-voting state, um, and that's the problem is that we're not getting out and voting. Um, and I think like historic turnout um, aside, we can do better. We really can. And it, it takes the work every single day to be able to do that. Not a crunch time before election, but work every single day to be able to get young voters out. And I think more nationally, um, I'm a student as well. So I think I mentioned this before, but student debt cancellation is a really, really big thing for me right now. I mean, it's awarded me the opportunity to continue higher education. Um, it's awarded me the, the potential of being able to go to law school um, and being able to build my generational wealth because I'm first gen. Um, my parents never got the chance to go to college. My mom got pregnant at 16. Uh, my dad had to quit college to able to support my family. Um, and so first gen here all the way. So navigating this process completely alone. Um, I have my support of my parents, but alone in the sense of like, th this has not been done before in my family. So um, navigating this process with the help of the government and help of being able to say, hey, we're going to let you go to college and, and let that be a, an actual opportunity for you rather than being like crushed by student loan debt. Um, and so for me, it's just, it's those kind of issues that motivate me and really get me out there just to, uh, just to build the generational things and, and being able to build on and um, create a better future for myself and those around me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that I feel like I've, I've been having a lot of conversations with lately and with people in my life has just been like these, these like political games that our politicians are playing have real life impacts on, on people. <laughs> and it's, it's ridiculous that, um, like our rights and our ability to access care or, um, our ability to provide financially for our families, those things are just like left up to the whims of whatever, like political stunt yeah. he's going to pull. And so it feels really frustrating for me. Like, I, you know, I'm, the generation right above you. And I feel extremely frustrated. I felt extremely frustrated for many years. And so, yeah. um, you know, I often wonder like when we combine our frustrations and we go to the polls as millennials and Gen Z voters, um, how much we can really turn the tide with these things, you know, yeah. something that I think has played a major role for, for better or worse. And that's always up for debate. But it's played a major role, and I think maybe getting younger folks, and I would love your perspective on this, mm -hmm. uh, to the polls has been the use of social media. Um, yeah. Now, we've seen the use of social media go really horribly when it comes to election information and disinformation. Mm -hmm. uh, what have you seen, though, within your circles of the use of TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, things like that, where you are maybe getting some information about elections? Are you yeah. something that you see as useful? Are you and your peers using social media to provide information to other students or community members about upcoming elections or how have you seen that utilized? Yeah, for sure. So just within the small scope of Texas Women's University, um, we have our own Pioneers Vote Instagram. Um, and we 
we're very diligent about providing information for our campus too, like polling hours, making sure students know where they can go, where it is at, when it's open. Um, it, it was only an early voting site. So um, making sure they knew on election day, you cannot vote here. You have to go to the civic center. Um, and then also too, like, can you get per transportation provided when um, we actually do go to the polls? Like, so for example, we were early voting. Um, and we Our voting site is pretty close. It's a walk, but um, we provided like little go bikes. Um, so like they were, <laughs> you know, like when you, um, have you ever gone to a baseball game and you're like the people sitting outside, they're in like, they have the bikes, but they also have like the wagons behind them. Yeah, that was what we had to be able to cart students to the polls um, on actual election day so they could, you know, they wouldn't have to take so much time out of their day because realistically, like, we're busy college students and you've got tests and everything. So um, we did that. But social media was a game changer in making sure that people were informed specifically about our campus. Um, if you ask me more on a personal note, I think social media is very dangerous. Um, I think we've seen that in the last couple of years. Um, it provides a lot of people misinformation. And I think um, it's not regulated to the point where it can be a reliable source now, especially for elections. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in the right hands with the right responsibility and on the right information, it's very, very powerful, very useful. It gets out the vote. It gets out the, the effort. Um, and it really motivates people because that is what's right in front of their face all the time. Right. Uh, but that's also part of the problem. So like it's a double-edged sword here. So it's yeah. right in face all the time. So if you're getting, if you're going through that cycle of misinformation, then yeah, but. Yeah, I totally agree. That's so interesting. I, I, I threw that question in there. I know it wasn't something that I sent over to you. It was like, I just, I'm just deeply curious because, um, you know, I just always feel like people are like, oh, Gen Z is always on TikTok and they all love it. And that's like their thing. And like, while that may be true, it's just really interesting to sit across from you and hear you say like, actually, I don't love it. I think it's dangerous. Yeah. And, like, and like, you know, like voting aside, like, I think there's, there's, there's more dangerous ramifications. Like if you talk about body image and you talk about self care and you talk about those things, like TikTok, I love me some scrolling on some TikTok, but I do not love reinforcement of, you know, like, here's how to eat healthy and here's how to do this. And here's how to work out correctly. Like I more personally know, but um, I think in the right circumstances with the right people. And that's just the problem right now. I think from top down, it's not regulated very well. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, they're just... you can get a blue check mark now for $8. So that's the case, then we're all. Uh, yeah. It's like a whole thing. I feel like I, every day I go to work and have like an existential crisis because I work in like social media. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. am I doing good or am I not? <laughs> and that's the thing is like people that are doing it well, are yeah. doing it well but the people that are doing it wrong way yeah. wrong and it's typically not like yeah it's just yeah well it's cool to know though that like some um you know campuses and in groups on campus do have their own social media stuff and in and those things at least are controlled by the moderators of that of those accounts which i would assume would be you and your friends and you know yes. folks like you who would be just posting information so that students could at least you know quickly scan a qr code on a poster and get their voice it's just, you know, simple things like that. I'm just trying to think about, you know, if I had those resources to me available in my early twenties, what that, how that could have affected my voter turnout on my campus. Um, you yeah. know, just different, you know, angles of thinking through those things, but, um, on a larger scale, uh, the way things are going on social media right now is kind of like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of hard to watch. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's tough sometimes, but like, like the, so in the presentations too, we passed around an iPad and we had up the Texas secretary of state website and people check their registration status. So we passed it all the way around the room, the whole classroom to make sure that everybody knew if you're not registered, get registered with us today. Cause we're VDRs. Um, I don't know if other States do that, but Texas does VDRs, voter deputy registrars, where there are people licensed by the state. It's like a real short certification process. And then you can actually register people to vote. So they fill out the forms with you and then you take it to the county office and they're registered to vote. Yeah. So it's a really nice process for like cutting out some of the, the lag time or things like that. Um, but yeah, making sure we had an iPad, pass it around, make sure everybody knows their registration status. Cause like a lot of people are like, Oh no. And I'm like, well, look it up. Please yeah. look it up. <laughs> look up where you're registered. Look up your polling site. If it's not here, go back home on that day. Um, get, let's get a plan going. Let's let's make sure you're ready. So yeah, just, I love that resources. Yeah, well, I mean, something that you and I both know and probably will shake our heads at is you know these misconceptions about the younger vo- voters and the younger generations just not showing up to vote. Um, misconceptions about who y'all are as a as a group and as a generation. So. You know, this is your chance to people who are listening right now to this podcast. Like, what's something that you want older generations or, you know, people in general to know about young voters? Um, what kind of things, maybe misconceptions, do you want to put on blast right now? Or just like what truths do you want to get out there about you and your friends and your and your community as a whole as young voters um, moving forward from this midterm election into the next one? Yeah, and I think I've said this before, too, but... We're here in the call and we're picking it up. And I think that is end all be all like, don't count us out because of our age. And I think like, really honestly, I don't think age matters all too much. I really don't. I think it's about willingness to learn. I think it's about willingness to engage. Um, And I think it's about setting forth the effort to really see the change happen where you want want it to happen. Um, I don't care which side you lie on, but like if you're passionate about something, as long as it's not hateful, go for it. Like answer the call. And I think, I think we have a perception that like we're lazy and things like that. And I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think, I think it's, it's being more efficient in in ways and like cutting to the chase a little bit quicker. Like we'll be blunt about it. Like, I don't, I don't like what's going on in my government. I don't like what's happening on the state level. Um, I'm ready to hear the call, but will, will people listen to me? That's the problem is like, I get discounted a lot because of my age. And I'm like, you know what? I am the one that will be dealing with this in the future, not you. So let's, let's listen to me for a second because I'm willing to listen to you. Um, and so, um, it's just making sure that, that like we are open-minded, but other people need to be open-minded as well. And we just all need to facilitate that learning from each other, um, and really grow from it. And I think again, living in historic times where we're just so divided and so, polarized. Um, it takes all of us. It takes all of us to, to make a movement, um, old, young, uh, black, white, everything in between, like it really does. And so we need to build a coalition together and, and that's where the change will happen. Yeah. Uh, making sure everyone can vote, making sure everyone has their voice heard and, and making sure that we're amplifying voices that maybe need a little bit more amplification sometimes, because that's most important too. Like I'm, I'm a cisgendered white woman. Like I don't always need to be leading the call on diversity issues. I can have my voice um, on a women's campus. We serve uh, 90% women on our campus, but that's not always a space for me. So like stepping back and, and listening both sides, I think that's just the most important thing. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love the concept of like, let's, let's 
figure out what we have more in common of and less about like what what's different um because we do need each other we need we need each other to do to do this thing right to course correct from where our it feels like our democracy is headed and if if i can you know, build a coalition with someone who i might not have like 100 percent agreement on every single view um mm-hmm. but I, I can at least agree on the important things to move our democracy forward i'm i'm gonna do that work with somebody so i appreciate that that's that's at the heart, I feel like, of y'all's generation. And I'm, like, low-key obsessed with how incredible y'all are. <laughs> and, like, it just, it fills me with so much hope. Um, whenever, you know, just any any given day, whenever I turn on the news cycle and just see, like, ah, oh, gosh, there's just, like, so much happening. Um, you know, y'all's, y'all's generation fills me with a little, little bit of much-needed hope. Um, you know, to that degree, with everything that is going on in the world right now, I love to end our podcast interviews, just talking about hope, talking about things that have been bringing you life lately, things that are, you know, you know, getting you excited, maybe like a a nice playlist you've been listening to a new video game that you've been down with. Like, I don't know, like a new flavor of coffee that you're like, yes, this is it. What? What? Give us a tiny dose of serotonin at the end of this. Like what's been bringing you some joy, some hope lately. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I am a very, uh, workout junkie. So I get up like every morning. I'm also a cycle instructor. So I I do cycle every, and I'll tell you what, Lizzo's music is the best like workout music. You can literally get out there. Like I, for like three weeks now, that's all I've listened to like while I work out. And it's so great because she has so many female empowerment songs. She has a song called like a girl. And it's all about like the phrase, like a girl has been like negative and, but she construes it in a way it's like, yeah, do everything like a girl. Cause that's how we do it. Things like that. And oh my gosh, it, like I'm chills right now. I just, um, but I'm working out or whatever. I'm like lifting weights, wait, like a girl. It's, <laughs> it's so good. Lizzo is just top tier. So that is probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate your time, uh, today I think it's been a really wonderful conversation I hope our listeners have um, appreciated it just as much as I have um is there anything that we didn't cover that you kind of want to shout out at the end anywhere if you want folks to follow Texas women's Instagram is there like any handles that you want anybody to know about or I mean yeah so we have our pioneers vote Instagram um, and also, too, for other college students, um, we have a department called the Center for Women in Politics and Public Policy, um, which is a mouthful. But we provide a lot of, a lot of scholarships for Texas residents specifically um, to go to different seminars. And um, we're actually sponsoring students to go to Austin and be in the ledge session and everything like that. So um, those are really great resources from TWU specifically. And then I would also just add that, again, I've mentioned this before, but like my my team at Texas Women's University has been absolutely essential to getting us to where we are today. Um, the administrative support, the team support, um, uh, my partner on the first vote presentations, Andy, um, he is ab- was absolutely essential to the success of that program and reaching as many students as we did. So um, thank you to everyone at TWU because, wow, we did it and we got more work to do, but oh, it would it would not have been done without the team at TWU. So. Yes. Shout out to the team. We'll drop those links in the show notes this episode. Um, But other than that, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This concludes this week's episode of Live the Legacy podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, help spread the word. Share on social media, tell your friends about it, leave a review, subscribe, or rate us. A special shout out to Tabik Music for all of the music that you heard on today's episode. Once again, this has been your host, Mo Banks. Thanks so much for listening.